This is Brand and New from the International Trademark Association. This podcast series explores changes and dynamics in the legal world, now and tomorrow, with a focus on intellectual property. I am Audrey Dove. Welcome to Brand and New. Even though Africa seems like a late bloomer when it comes to the adoption of cryptocurrencies, this continent is totally converted to mobile money representing over 50% of the world's mobile money services. While the biggest search interest for Bitcoin in the world is reportedly by potential investors from Nigeria, South Africa and Kenya, this interest is predominantly limited to trading activities on exchanges. Brenda Kari, founder of the firm BW Kari, has been a lawyer specialized in intellectual property and commercial transactions in Zimbabwe for more than 30 years. She will give us the keys to understand cryptocurrencies and the applications of the blockchain in this continent, the opportunities they represent, and the legal and IP challenges occurred. Brenda, thanks for joining us today. On a few occasions, Bitcoin may be used as a means of payment mostly to overseas suppliers, and governments might have publicly announced their wish to use the blockchain technology to better serve the public, such as in Uganda. But it remains aspirational and rare in practice. Why is that? Is it due to technical barriers, to price, to legal risks, or is it more social or cultural in your view? Um, Well, let me just address each one of those. Thank you very much for the introduction, Audrey. First of all, there's no problem with access to smartphones, Um, and there is pretty much a secure Internet connection. Power supply can be a problem, but I believe that uh, in some instances we've moved towards solar energy, which is going to pretty much assist with the power supply interruptions. So I cannot say that uh, the use of blockchain technology has been uh, a cause, that any of those have been a cause uh, for non-use of it, I should say. Um, the price pretty much is not a concern. I don't believe that most people even know about the existence of uh, the opportunity to use uh, cryptocurrencies or blockchain technology. So there's a lack of awareness. I wouldn't say that there's a lack of education because we have a fairly well-educated population here in Zimbabwe particularly. And I would say that in a great number of African states, the education level can be pretty high. But the lack of awareness, I think, is a, is a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is also a fear, um, and not so much a Ponzi scheme, but just a fear that there's illegal activity. And there's so much emphasis, I believe, in the publicity about Bitcoins and other cryptocurrencies, about how it can be used as the dark side of the web, so to speak. So people are reluctant because they don't understand it. So I believe that if they were aware of it, they could probably find that the use would be much higher. The mobile phone app situation, particularly in Zimbabwe, took off with echo cash and with the transactions of sales, mainly because the government pushed for people to become um, cashless. In other words, we were a society that was mainly based upon cash and government because of its current problems with actually having bond notes or let's say Zimbabwe dollars or US dollars forced people to literally have mobile apps for banking institutions. And they also found that this was important from the standpoint of taxation. The next step would be blockchain. But at the moment, I believe that governments uh, uh, are still reluctant to embrace it because they still want control over currencies within their countries, what we call exchange control. When you talk about the next step, that will be blockchain. 
what will it change compared to the situation today? Well, I certainly believe that as there becomes more education or more awareness about the benefits, blockchain in particular, and uh, cryptocurrencies as well, that there will be a change in attitude. There will hopefully be a relaxation in the regulations as governments understand that this, this particular technology can be of use to them, not only to consumers. And, and this is also in the IP area because there's potential here, while it's still not quite ready, there's potential that blockchain technology could actually augment the current efforts of government in terms of IP registrations. We are overwhelmed uh, in our offices. We are inefficient. We are incapable sometimes of maintaining files and so forth. The blockchain technology could actually be used to augment us, uh, our systems here and help in terms of an efficient and reliable service that can be rendered. And it can also be of current use in terms of other aspects of, of government responsibilities in delivering services. And they can then utilize people and deploy them to other areas for social services like outreach programs in terms of trying to inform the public about IP and so forth. It can also be used by agencies such as um, tax authorities and border control, customs and so forth to find and um, be more effective in terms of weeding out counterfeits. So this is something that I don't believe our governments have a clue about. You know, they simply need to know the information and, and have it provided to them. And I believe then we would see a bit of change. But cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology are also not quite at the stage that they need to be in its development. I understand from, you know, my information that I've uh, been exposed to myself is that it, it consumes a lot of high energy and it's not able to take on a lot of transactions at one time. So when the technology also advances, so too, I believe, will be the need and the interest of using it. Just similar to the Internet, it had to advance and develop before really it was embraced by people worldwide. And do you see other applications of the blockchain technology that could be a real benefit for African populations? I think of transparency of elections, access to energy, financial services, etc., without the need for any middleman such as governments or public institutions? Well, I do see it as a possibility, but I believe that we could say that there's a lack of maturity, in, in particularly in the election uh, aspect. And this is not just with Africa. I mean, we can look at developed countries like America and realize that we don't have a system in place. Uh, we've had a discussion throughout the presidency of, of, of President Trump about interference in elections. Well, if America moved to blockchain, how many people, how many countries do you think would follow? The wonderful thing about blockchain is the fact that it's immutable. It's if it can't be corrupt. Once the information is in the system, you really cannot have interference. And that would be the natural way for us to have elections. But of course, there will be a lack of maturity on the part of the political systems who will want to maintain control within borders. So until we have an understanding that free elections in every country is something that's important in every country, I think using it for elections is going to be a bit of a problem, not because of the system, but because of the resistance to change. Um, I see that blockchain itself, though, if we, we look at the, the cryptocurrencies aspect and look at Bitcoin, This is also uh, a level where we have to have maturity of governments. 
and transparency of government on the ground first. Like, for example, in Zimbabwe, we had Bitcoin being offered. Owner of the store was forced to shut down by government because government had a need to maintain control over the currency within its borders. And that is because they have the need to pay their debts to other foreign countries. And they're anxious and nervous to not have currency leaving the country. Then they could utilize that for payment of debts that are due outside. So that's the what we call the exchange control problem of most developing countries, particularly in South America and Africa. Uh, it may be true also for certain Euro- Eastern European countries. I'm not quite sure. But that case and a good part of it, I should say, positive aspect is that the owner did go to court and was able to get a temporary restraining order. And now the case is in court. Now, in terms of legal proceedings, you don't get a temporary restraining order unless a judge believes that you have some merit to your complaint. The only unfortunate thing here is that uh, the current owner is saying that he really has, he cannot get a bank account. He is not able to open a bank account. And um, we're not quite certain of the reasons or rationales for the banks not giving him an account. But we have no law against cryptocurrencies. That was simply an action taken under exchange control. There are uh, pending pieces of legislation that could have a regulatory function over cryptocurrency. There is one bill that's pending. It's not yet passed. Hopefully in this process, government will be able to see some of the benefits. For example, in Zimbabwe, now people are moving towards solar energy. They are using their own funds to bring in solar panels. If they had cryptocurrencies to do all of that, then perhaps the government may not be in such a position where they have to spend so much on maintaining our traditional electricity functions through the electricity company. They could save a tremendous amount because they wouldn't have what the peak load that they have now, that they're not able to really service and that they're not able to maintain. So the more you encourage people to use and bring in their own funds in any direction or means that they can, then, of course, you're what? You're reducing the burden. I think we found that out time and time again. When we give freedom in one area, we actually give more freedom to the person very often who's supposedly. Do you believe there is a case for local businesses winning the game of democratizing access to financial tech services based on their first-hand knowledge of the populations and their cultural expectations? Or do you think that mainly international groups with a global presence, platform and track record can take up this challenge? Well, I don't think that there's really any difference between a local entity or an international entity in terms of the importance of knowing and understanding local circumstances, the nuances, the cultural and and social nuances, the economic system on the ground. And I would say for a long time, that's why Coca-Cola was so successful. They had known very well how to market the Coca-Cola for years. They're almost, they were almost a monopoly until recently when we had a crisis here and the Coca-Cola did not respond and maintain availability of their products because they could not get the foreign currency that they wanted in order to import certain ingredients. Pepsi stepped in, and for the first time, Pepsi has now a brand name recognition in Zimbabwe. So those are two foreign companies. So in my view, it doesn't matter. The the, the local company must meet local needs, and the international company must meet the local needs as well. It's just that from 
some standpoint, depending upon the nature of the services, a foreign brand may actually have more recognition and people may go to that foreign brand. But the moment that foreign brand does not serve the local needs, it has a problem. In the case of Chicken Inn and uh, KFC, I know that in Zimbabwe, in fact, Chicken Inn was a local uh, Zimbabweans who started that, and they are now spread throughout Africa. Nando's South Africans, um, they started in South Africa, and now they are worldwide, even in the United States. In each instance, it was the ability of those companies or those uh, brands to meet the local need. KFC came into Zimbabwe. They had the first time they came, they failed because they were in the wrong neighborhood, seeking the wrong customer in terms of education, uh, desire for their product, and so forth. When they came back, they came back in the right neighborhood with the right uh, customer uh, desire there and education and so forth. And also they came up with a whole new idea, drive-through windows, which no one had ever had in Zimbabwe. So people were queuing around two or, two or three kilometers just to go to experience what? that. <laughs> But then when we had our financial crisis here, Kentucky Fried was not able to deliver because they had to have U.S. dollars, whereas our local company who understood our situation and understood the exchange control problems, they continued to provide product and they continued to accept local currency throughout the crisis. So they they gained and KFC lost some customers. The momentum that they had started came to a bit of a standstill, so to speak. They're still in operation. I'm not quite sure how they're doing financially, but the, the local knowledge there and the ability mm-hmm. to serve the customer was with Chicken Inn that time. And so yeah. Chicken Inn also, by the way, stepped up their competitive edge by also providing the drive through window and also mm-hmm. providing entertainment for children at their premises, which is something that KFC had not offered. Brenda, what does that mean for you in practice as an IP lawyer? Well, first of all, I think that you have to be aware as an IP lawyer of circumstances on the ground and try to inform uh, your client uh, how they can uh, master the situation on the ground and also encourage them and not urge them to make sure that their IP registrations are in place, that their licenses are in place, and that they have the ability to make sure that they can literally maintain quality control over their products. They have to have that. And um, they they need to understand if they're going to be successful and continue success, that they have to respond at each stage and also be resourceful. INTA is a global association representing more than 30,000 brand owners and professionals dedicated to supporting trademarks and related intellectual property to foster consumer trust, economic growth, and innovation. Let's talk about social media. They are extremely popular among smartphone users in Africa. And in relation to cryptocurrencies, Facebook is planning on launching a new blockchain digital currency Called Libra in 2020. Any thought, Brenda, about its potential in Africa and more specifically in a country like Zimbabwe and the legal and IP challenges to anticipate? Well, I was quite uh, pleased uh, to hear that Facebook joining together with a few other giants 
that they are intending to go into the market because Facebook has a brand that's well-known um, and acceptable. Uh, however, there's a caution here, and that is um, the negative publicity that have come out, again, with respect to the bad side or the dark side of cryptocurrencies. They're going to have to what? Uh, do the groundwork in terms of effective pre-marketing and strategy to reduce, if not eliminate, some of that negative publicity related to the dark side of the Internet. Mm -hmm. Facebook has already suffered a little bit of a setback in terms of their breach of data privacy. Um, they are overcoming that to some extent. They are also trying to overcome such things as pornography and so forth, trying to get control over that. I'm not quite sure if they're ready to take on another campaign to literally build the reputation of cryptocurrencies. If they are ready for that, it will be a very good thing. And if they can also emphasize the positive aspects of blockchain while doing this Bitcoin or their own, sorry, their own brand, Libra, then I think it would be a very positive thing. And they, having the financial resources and backing, could also perhaps invest in bit more of the research that needs to be done and the product development, so to speak, of cryptocurrencies related to the high energy consumption and the inability to do multiple transactions. They would need to invest into that. And I think they're in a position to do that. I think it would be something very positive because then African leadership and consumers would cast their eye on it because we follow Facebook. There's no doubt that there are billions of people using all of the social media. Brenda, now I have a few rapid-fire questions for you. Whose brain would you like to have had? Well, I would say Maya Angelou. During her lifetime, she was a person who had tremendous common sense, uh, great creativity, and she knew how to take information and translate it to knowledge and wisdom. So I would definitely <laughs> like to have had her brain. <laughs> What inspires you? Well, IP inspires me. It's a, it's a serious passion <laughs> because um, I truly do believe that the success of the continent of Africa will lie in the innovations and creations of its people. And that's okay. why I'm so inspired by it because I believe that once we have full awareness of the power of intellectual property, and that we're, we're unstoppable. <laughs> What is the next big brand and new thing for you? Thinking about that would be AI. After blockchain, definitely AI. That's artificial intelligence. Um, there is tremendous potential. And again, there's a big task to making people aware of what it is and its potential and how to unlock the potential. You know, right now, um, Africa is a, has huge uh, problems with unemployment. But just imagine how many people could be hired and employed for data collection. Because IT, I, AI cannot exist without data collection. And the tremendous potential there for intellectual property. So I, I think that is the next big brand and new after or alongside blockchain. <laughs> The last book you read? I, my passion is IP, and I seem to be stuck on all of the reading about that. But my <laughs> my brother recently wrote a book. Uh, he has his PhD, and it took him many years to write a book. And it was he has named it Seven Dimensions 
of human endeavors. And it's a compilation of quotes, acronyms, and words of wisdom. And I read it and I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And because what he's basically saying there is that there are seven dimensions in our lives and they're all intertwined and interrelated. And at the center of those dimensions, one center one is spiritual. So I, I thought it was easy to read. <laughs> uh, and, and I enjoyed it. And uh, I found that it, it just really did help me have a different perspective on things. Well, that book just kind of gave me a chance uh, to take a step back. What would you have liked to invent or to create? I would have liked to have created the, the internet. <laughs> But I would go back further than that if we were to look at the past and say I would have liked to have invented the light bulb. For the mind to have conceived the light bulb in an environment in which we're using candles to me is fascinating, the capacity of our brain and the ability to make that light bulb then translate it into so many subsequent inventions, including the internet. <laughs> so yes, if I could go back in time and create something spectacular, it would probably be the light bulb. Thank you so much, Brenda. Thank you, Audrey. I've enjoyed this. My guest today was Brenda Carey, founder of the firm BW Carey, based in Harare, Zimbabwe. Thank you for listening to Brand and New, brought to you by the International Trademark Association. Be sure to tune in every two weeks on Tuesday for new episodes. If you like today's podcast, please subscribe and share it. We are always looking for new people to discover Brand and New. And to learn more about INTA, its resources and events, please visit www.inta.org.